If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of John chapter 8. Amen. And we are going to read from verse 1 in a minute. We're going to read a few verses there. Amen. I am not a, a person who, uh, I'm not a pet person. You know, somebody, hey man, I got, I got a witness. I'm not a, not a person who's going to run out and be like, hey, hey, Sharon, we got to get a dog. Now, we don't got to get a dog. Amen. Matter of fact, the country where I was born, they don't come in the house. They don't, they don't, they don't come in the house. They live outside. They figure out. We feed them outside. Amen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you, some of you who weren't born where I was born that were born here saying, that, that's me too. That's, that's me too. That ain't. Amen. I'm not a pet person, but, you know, my daughter, when she was younger, you know, she was in love with animals. Savannah, everybody knows, there's a time, there was a phase in her life where and I got so many stuffed animals in the house still in my garage from when she was a kid. She used to love animals, and so I was forced to get a dog. Brownie became a big part of my life. <laughs> my man, we got a mutual understanding. You don't bother me, I don't bother you. You their dog, amen. <laughs> We, it's been working since she was four to now, amen. It's been cool, you know. I walk in the house, he look at me, head nod. We good, we good, bro. Amen. <laughs> the thing about pets is that if something's wrong with him, he's able to communicate. He would scream or bark or make these weird sounds. I don't know why I made it. I'm going to go home and watch this thing and be like, I can't believe you did that. And it, you know, there's an indication there that something's wrong with me. He's able to do that. He's able to do that. Most pets are able to do that. But there's one pet in particular that I've owned a lot of times in my life that the only time I know that something's wrong with them it's when they're dead. <laughs> Guilty just like me, huh? I mean, when my dog is going through and he gives the signs, I can help him. Because he's making a sound. He's, he's not suffering or trying to suffer in silence. He's trying to let those that are around me, and it's crazy because if you look at it, he's, a, he is, he's not a human, and so he realizes, I need, I need help. I need some type of help. So if there is something out there that can help me, I, am, I don't want to suffer in silence. I am going to make a sound to see if it can reach a helping ear. That's a word already there. Come on, somebody. Sometimes we don't want to make a sound and a cry and a shout. And so, you know, we suffer in silence. But the fish, on the other hand, he don't make no sound. He don't say nothing. He don't even try to, like, swim into the, you know, at least if you like, you. <laughs> Fred looking at me like I'm crazy. 
You know, at least he'd be like, you know, if I wake up and I see this fish just banging his head against the tank, I'm going to be like, yo, my man, he needs something. Like, bro, you good? You know? He don't do nothing. The only possible indication is he starts swimming sideways. And by the time he starts to do that, it's done. He's, he's, that, that's when you start preparing the funeral arrangements. How am I going to tell my kids he's dead? Right now, Shy and Silas, I live next to the, the ocean. They think their two pet fish grew so big that I had to let them go. Them boys is dead, dead. Silas, Shy figured it out. He's like, fish dead, right? I'm like... And I looked at him like the good father I am, and I said, no, they're not. <laughs> I lied. Amen. I lied. That's why God is a good father. I'm <laughs> trying to protect you, young man. I remember when I was young, my dad had bought a fish tank, and... You know, fish tanks get dirty. I thought, some of you heard this story, thought I was going to do a good thing as a kid for my father, make my dad proud. So I decided I was going to change the water for my dad. And I changed the water, took the fish out. And when it was time to refill it, you know, I figured the fish would, like me, I want warm water. Stacy, don't look at me like that, man. Come on, man. Come on, man. I ain't that crazy, man. You know, when I, you know, you wake up in the morning, you take a shower, you don't, you, you want warm water. So I figured, yo, my man, he don't want to be cold. So I was going, you know, so I warmed up the water a little bit how I like it. <laughs> they weren't big enough. They weren't big enough. <laughs> And so by the time my dad got home, all the fish, you know, I'm, I'm like, he going to come see, you know. And when I walked over and I saw, they dead. And they ain't even tell me they were dying. They just were suffering. In silence. And do you know how many human beings are suffering in silence? It's like we're programmed that if something's wrong with us, to never say anything, just die. There's people that hold on to bitterness for years. And, and, and you see that from Genesis, right? From the time men fell, what's the first thing Adam did? Instead of run to God, he ran and hid, not just ran away. Like he wasn't running like, yo, I'm out, God going to kill me, bro. Who can help me? He hid himself. And then when God asked him, where are you? He said, I was afraid and I was 
this is a weird thing. I was, he was naked all the time. He started to feel conscious and ashamed. Hello? <laughs> Call you back in church right now. And the same thing that Adam did is what we all do. There are people that are suffering from bitterness for years. And they're suffering in silence because a family member hurt them so bad and they cannot get over it. No matter what they do and they don't talk about it, they walk around like they're okay. But they wake up with it on their mind. They go to bed with it on their mind. They want to be loved by this person or prove that they pass it, that they, they do things that actually abuse themselves and get used just to, and it only brings more hurt. There are people in this room that have been molested. There's people watching on this camera right now that have been molested, that have suffered, is suffering in silence. Molestation does a lot of damage to a young child's mind. And molestation is not just a woman problem. I found out over the years how wrong I was when I found out how many young men were molested over the years. And they're in silence. There's people who haven't even... Just finding out that your body is failing in some areas. You, you, you suffer in silence. You don't tell nobody. You, your doctor told me something. And I could go on and on and on. There's people who have been through divorce that are suffering in silence. There's people who are dealing with rejection. There's people because of bad decisions you are now paying a price. There's people who've got children they're raising that are not where you would want them to be. And as a result, it burdens your heart every day. And a lot of us are suffering in silence. And I ask myself, why? There are many reasons, and I don't claim to know all of them, but I know for sure one reason is because of shame. We're ashamed because if people know what's going on in my marriage, somehow we, we think that that is a result of me not being what I presented myself to be. How dare somebody as smart as me, as educated as me, have a failed marriage? happens to everybody how dare someone as 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 energetic as me not be able to find a job with benefits or or have a career or be an entrepreneur how dare my life be where it is how dare somebody with as much money as me have a eating disorder how dare 
somebody like me be addicted to lust. You'd be surprised if you pull back the layers on human beings and truly see what's going on. How many of us have got major issues, but we never open our mouth, not even to talk to God about it because of the shame of it. Shame has a personality that once you have identified with it, it now becomes part of your character. We don't talk about Bruno. Why? I personally thought that movie was boring. But what I got when I got up to that part before I fell asleep was that he shamed the family some way. And we don't talk about what shames us. Hallelujah, somebody. What I want to talk to you about is the personality of shame. The personality of shame. Father, your word is blessed. And I pray that you'd speak to the people in this room today. That when they leave here, God, you would lift every stronghold and every burden. And everything that the enemy would ever try to keep them shackled with. And we would leave transformed in Jesus' name. Amen. In the book of John, chapter 8, verse number 1, a very famous portion of scripture is there. The Bible says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. She was caught. She was caught. Aren't you grateful you weren't? Well, I never commit adultery. What did you commit? <laughs> Ask your neighbor what you commit. <laughs> Some of y'all look away so fast. <laughs> like, pastor getting too personal now. <laughs> What'd you do? <laughs> you police? issues that we are carrying that God wants today to help you to let go listen she was caught in adultery they who's they the law the teachers of the law and the Pharisees they made her stand before the group 
I don't even know what she's looking like at this moment. Did they dignify her and allow her to go home? Did they drag her from the actual act? How is this woman even presented to this group? They brought her in front of the group. And they are teachers of scriptures. And they brought her in front of the group. And said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, he commanded us to stone such a woman. Here's my first point to you today. Never make someone's shame your pedestal of honor. Who am I talking to in this house today? Some people like to delight in other people's embarrassment because it makes you feel some type of way about your own self. Never make somebody else's shame your opportunity to say, look how good I am. And these Pharisees took this woman's issue as an opportunity to try to make themselves look like we are better than Jesus. We know more. Let me tell you something. Be careful. Be careful. Some of you say, I never do that. We do that as a culture, not only on the ground level. We do that to celebrities. We talk about people. We talk about celebrities. We talk about people any type of way whenever they mess up. Look at them. Look, see? And some of us, we really are looking at how they live. But some of us are taking an opportunity to actually say, that would never be me. I would never do it. How could you think of? Let me tell you something about you that you don't know. Under the right circumstance, you will surprise your... And look, I said it like a guy in his... You will surprise... <laughs> I forgot the R. You will surprise yourself what you are capable of doing. I'd never smoke weed. Let the, the right circumstance hit. You'd be on. How could they cheat on their spouse? How could they do this? Let the right up. Let under some certain circumstance. That's why this here, I never trust it. You know what the Bible tells me to do with flesh? Kill it every day. Not just one day. Every day, kill flesh. It don't take, it just take one time for you to realize, yo, I'm messed up. I, you might go 50 years without a look. It take that 51 year. That's the look. And according to the brothers, the brothers say, Pastor, is that the first look? That's lust. It's the second look. And another brother said, well, I'm going to take a long first look. He said, y'all got ways to figure out sin, huh? <laughs> Amen. Let me tell you something. It's just that, and make no mistakes about it, 
Do you see the character of the devil? You say, what are you talking about? He wants to expose your sin to shame, try to shame Jesus. The exposing of this woman's sin is an opportunity for them to try to shame Jesus and put themselves on a pedestal. Don't you ever look down on anybody. The minute you start looking down, you're too high. Come on, write that down. Put that on your forehead. The minute you start looking down, you too high. I don't understand them. You will. <laughs> Amen, somebody. The second thing I want you to notice is that questions are colored or shaped by the questioner. What do you mean by that? They came to Jesus with a question. The law commanded, what do you say we should do? And every question is shaped by the questioner. And let me help you something in life. Before you answer a question, know who's asking it. Come on, somebody. Because the question might be seeming like the right one, but... The question has an intention because it has an asker. That ain't correct the way to say it, but you know what I'm saying. And questions are always shaped by the person asking it. And sometimes you don't have to answer every question. Especially when you're asking me to trap me. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Come on. I'm going to tell you, you got to learn to have a strong no in you. A strong, I don't have time for this in you. Come on. Come on. Hallelujah. You got to learn that when people ask you, you don't have to answer everything. And that's why, that's why yesterday I said, Sister Sherry, listen, I know I'm a pastor. I know they're probably going to screenshot the way I answer this brother. But every question got a questioner. And you felt too free to come and ask me about if you can make my God disappear. I can make you disappear. Delete. Gone. Block, never to return. Yeah, yes. If you want peace of mind, you better understand that every question got a questioner. Whenever you answer your phone, look at the name. I got a thing about me. If your name don't show up, I ain't answering. That's already a problem. You weren't allowed into the inner circles of my mind. You have to do that in these days and times. Because if you don't protect your mind, people got all types of weird intents. People do that to me all the time as a pastor. pastor I got a question for you, man of God. I got a question. What's the question? If God is good, why is there evil? You going to believe if I tell you? Because you you really are asking a question. You don't, being a Christian don't make you soft. That's the problem with Christianity today. Jesus was the, was the epitome of what a man is. Where the men at in this house? That was a soft response. Y'all soft. Where the men at in this house? I better not hear a man saying, woo, like, come on, where the men at in this house? 
Listen, listen, y'all, listen. People will come to you with questions and things, but you got to know the source of it first because you will spend your energy answering people who will never change. These people came with a question, not for the purpose of wanting to learn, but with the purpose of trying to embarrass Jesus. And there are people who will come into your life, not with the purpose of trying to understand or learn who you are. They just really want to expose you, embarrass you, or find your business out. Hallelujah. Y'all remember Nanya? Nanya was in high school when we was Y'all remember Nanya? Yo, you looking for Nanya? Who's Nanya? Nanya. Y'all, 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 that's the friend you should have kept. Of all the friends you had. Listen to this. Listen to this. Point number three. Doubt and pride will always create questions for Jesus. Anybody who's struggling with accepting Jesus is because they're struggling with doubt and pride. Right? And I should really change that word doubt to unbelief. Because there's a difference between a doubt and unbelief. And people who are unbelieving and prideful, they're always going to create questions for Jesus. You see them all over the internet. People who don't, they're atheists, but they, this is what bugs me about atheists. They spend the rest of their life fighting a God that doesn't exist. Man, if he don't exist, move on, bro. They spend their life writing books about the God who don't exist. It seems like pride to me. It seems like you're constantly fighting the proof that is punching you in the face every day. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. And and so... People who struggle with unbelief are always going to come up with some bug question as to why God don't work. And you see it all over the internet. Listen to this. Let me help somebody out. Faith is not the absence of doubt. It's not. There was a man in the Bible who went to God and he said, I believe, help my unbelief. It's not the absence of doubt. But it is knowing where to take your doubts. It's knowing that my doubt is not God's problem. It's a problem that I can't figure out. But I know if I patient and wait long enough and keep seeking, God will reveal this to me. Faith is not the absence. You're going to have, there are things that are going to rock your life that you're going to sit back and say, Hold on, God. Are you really there? If you're really there, how could this ever happen to me? You've ever had that experience? God, if you're really there, how is the world getting away with this? Where are you at? God, if you're really there, why? And it will rock you to your core. But those doubts, sometimes you read the Bible too, and you might not have an answer to a scripture that you read. You might be like, well, wait, wait. I don't really understand that. Faith is not taking those doubts now and saying, oh, I got them. Got you, God. That's unbelief. That's, that's to the point now where you have made up your mind, there's no God. But a person with faith will go to God and say, God, I don't get this. But I know you're God. And I know that your ways are higher than mine. And I know my mind is finite and you are an infinite God. 
So I trust that in your time, you're going to make this known through, through a study, through some, some means and mechanisms. But until then, I still trust you. That's faith. Watch this, y'all. Listen to this point here. Hallelujah. That's what faith does. But unbelief, unbelief is disguised behind doubts. Those doubts are really, I'm only doubting because I really don't believe. And the Pharisees really didn't believe. And they're creating these doubts not to learn, but they think they're going to expose Jesus. They're wrong. They're wrong. They said, the Bible says she was caught. And I want you to know, not because you weren't caught means that you're not guilty. Some of us only, we walk around with the sense of, I've done nothing just because you weren't caught. Come on, somebody. But the fact is, everybody in this room is guilty of something. That we are in no position to ever look down on anybody. Amen? Amen? And she was caught and they brought a question. And the Bible says this in verse number 6. When they said, now what do you say? In verse number 6, they, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write in the ground with his finger. That same hand that once touched ground is touching ground again. And, you know, we all want to know what he wrote. The Bible don't tell. I wonder if he, he wrote, Jason on Wednesday night was at. And he started revealing. Who knows what he wrote in the ground? But whatever he wrote in the ground, the Bible says, when they kept, he wrote in the ground, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you that is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground again. And he's writing. Jeffrey. Here's the thing, if I'm on trial, guess what? I should be the one to speak at some point on my own behalf. They brought this woman and said, she's been caught. We need you to cast a judgment on her. And they wouldn't even say, let her speak. She is standing there in front of the group of people and they're exposing that she was caught in the act of adultery. Notice that there was no man brought. You don't commit adultery alone. And they didn't bring the man. They're shaming her. And at least you should, instead of saying, Jesus, what you got to say, at some point, let her speak. But this woman probably was glad to not even speak because when you're ashamed, 
Shame has a way of silencing you. I promise you, if any of us were ever in that situation, if God ever pulled back the curtain on what we have did, we're going to shut our mouth. You, 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 let me tell you something. It is so it is so crazy that when you look at people in the professional world that 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 we we see that run our daily lives when they mess up, they spend big money to have people PR what to say because that shame is so deep. And if you're ever caught or you're ever going through anything, this is when shame starts to step in and say, "Shut your mouth." And let me tell you something, if you've got something in your life going on right now and you're suffering in silence and it's because you're now saying, I don't want nobody to know. This thing goes deep. We live in a country that aborts more babies. If, if we allow, I won't even go deep. Which means that abortions are happening and we talk about the right of a woman, but we never talk about the suffering of the woman after. And women are suffering. One out of what they say, three, one out of four women have dealt with some type of molestation or rape. Somebody's suffering. There are men dealing with depression and suicide because of all of the pressures that has put on society. We live in a world that tells a man, be a man. Here's the question, which one? Because you present a Superman one day and you present us all these superheroes and we try to be like that. And then you tell us that's toxic, masculinity. I can't even say it. When a man now tries to be a man and say, I'm not going to cry. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rough this out and I'm going to take him up. And that's toxic. You have to learn to get in touch with your feminine side. Let me make this clear. There is nothing inside of me on the left or the right or the middle. There is no feminine side. These are all demonic terms to make men so when you tell a man be a man, he don't know which one. Is it the one that can now have babies? Man don't know what to be now when you tell him be a man. He confused in the house. And men are suffering the depression. Men, men are lonely too. Men are, men, are, men are going through things in Men are going through things in their mind. Men have this pressure. Men, you, you, you know, we, we, we're called to do stuff with our life. We're called to be something. Since God made Adam, the Bible says before he made him, there was no man to till the ground. He was made to work. He was made to produce. He wasn't made to be lazy. He was made to be something with his life. That's why, ladies, when you find a man who have no desire to be nothing, Run! Because naturally the woman comes along with, 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 the, with the attitude of we've got a purpose. A help me to fulfill God's purpose. And so some of you get with men who don't have purpose. And what you do is instead of helping God's purpose, you spend the rest of your life trying to help that man. He going to change for me. He beats you. You got six kids for him and he still ain't changed. He got six more. 
this too much, Vince? It's a little too much? All right, I'll come right out. Thank you, bro. I need that. So, you know, work it out. Go to therapy. Hope it works out for you. Run. There are men that are suffering in silence. I saw a number. I said, I got to look this up. What they say, the, the fatherless rate is now in our community. It's nuts. The amount of people that are raised without a dad. So how could you ever know there's a father that loves you when you never knew an earthly father who loved you? The homes are empty and people are suffering in silence. People are suffering. People got bitterness against children. Children and you don't talk. Some of us single parents had to raise these kids on our own. And as a result, you did the best you could. And the child just ain't going the way you want that child to go. And, and nobody understands you, mom. Because they, they, they look at you as it's your fault. But you did the best you could. And so now you don't even talk to nobody about the child. You don't talk about You don't talk about certain things. There's people that are suffering in silence and they're ashamed. They have identified with that. And this woman is being shamed. And she cannot have a voice. The truth is she can't have a voice not just because of them. She really can't have a voice because what are you going to say? Yeah, I slept with. Funny thing is. I wonder if there's anybody else in the crowd. Shame silences you. But you know who spoke? Jesus did. She didn't have a voice, but Jesus did. And the Bible says he wrote and he got up and he said, who, which one of y'all? Dare to take a stone. Don't bring Moses' commandments to me. Can I give y'all revelation? Who did they say commandments? Do you know how those commandments were written? The Bible says God's hand wrote the same. You brought what he wrote to him? To try to trap him, you can't trap the word with the word. He's the one that wrote it in the beginning. And they said, Moses, who wrote the commandments, said this is what to happen. He said, this is the finger that wrote it in the first place. So when you come before me, I dare ask you, who without sin? In other words, which one of y'all never broke the law? Go ahead. And grace speaks where shame silences. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. I'm grateful that grace spoke up. 
I no longer have to, oh gosh, I remember years ago when I fell, hallelujah, and I did my dirt and I did things. I had to apologize. I had to, you know, I grew up as a preacher's kid. That was never easy for me, hallelujah. Me and my son had a, a big talk the other night. He was like, man, you know, and he's, you know, we going through some of our parenting style. And, and you know, Sevy's always busting me down about where I'm wrong as a parent. I'm always like, man, you better get up out of my face, bro. Let's go another way. And so, 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 I, one of the things I told him, I said, yo, you don't even understand how my father, my father was like rigid, rigid, like click, clank, shackles. You don't, you, you didn't get to do anything in your life. And and and, and as I look back on all of that, I, I made my mistake as a as a young person in the church. And, and 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 every time I made a mistake, it was because unlike everybody else's job, and this is Pastor's Appreciation Month, so y'all could understand the difference. A plumber gets to go plumb, and it don't matter what his kids do, he still get to plumb. I preacher anything anybody in his circle do is a referendum on him so my kids don't even really get to be kids and I grew up under that so anything I did my shame was highlighting because there was people that wanted to use it to get to my dad first time I ever rapped in this church they came up and said why you let your, your son do that devil music and my own father said you can't rap in the church no more I'm pastoring it now though devil I have to stand up and I know what it's like to, 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 to deal with shame. I, I don't want to get deep into my business because it's, you know, Nunya is waiting outside. Hallelujah. <laughs> but, 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 but I know what it feels like to be ashamed. But I'm so grateful that I'm not my shame. I am what grace says I am. And grace spoke up. You know how many times I could have easily just left God in those moments and say, you know what? And I never, ever, ever made the church a, 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 a reflection of who God is. The church is, is being redeemed. So what they do is what they do. It's not a referendum on God. Just like I wouldn't want a referendum on my mistakes be on my father. The church can't be a referendum on who God is. So if you've been hurt in the church, I apologize. But those are people just like you. You got hurt at the job too, but you still kept working. You got hurt at the club, but you was in Amazura last. You just switched clubs. The problem is when we get hurt in church, we all of a sudden want to blame God. No, 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 no. You find another job. You find a way to work because you know you need that paycheck. You know you need God. Find a way to get to him. I don't go to church because they collect offering. Well, how else are we going to pay the bill? Get over it. I don't go to church because of this and that. Get over it. Get over it. You don't come here for people. You come here for God. I, I go to church and they don't ever say hi to me. So what? <laughs> say hi to them. Come to church bubbly like, hi, guy. You saw me? Hi. Didn't you see me? I'm here. Hi, hi. The problem is, say hi. But you're not here for the highs. You're here for Jesus. I want to know, did anybody come today for Jesus? For Jesus. For Jesus. For Jesus. Well, I don't, I don't go to their church, you know, because these other big churches, these mega churches got all this other stuff. Who cares? Exactly. You know, I like this preacher. They, they, they bring it in a way. I like that preacher. 
Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on, tell your neighbor, keep your eyes on Jesus. It is not a man that is the author and finisher of your faith. It is Jesus. It is not a preacher. Preachers are flawed just like everybody else. Preachers got their bias. Preachers got their own agendas sometimes that creep in their sermons. Even me, I'm guilty of that at times. But don't keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And the same hand that wrote the commandments says, go ahead, cast the stone. I dare one of you. He ain't say it like that. <laughs> but sometimes I wish he said it like that. Ray speaks up when shame silences. Here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line, right? When you read on in the story, it says that one by one, verse 9, that this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. <laughs> Where y'all adults at? Y'all got a lot of, uh, more time mean more sin. You, oh, that helped me a lot. I'm going to preach there for a minute. Sometimes the oldest be walking around like, well, pastor, you preach good, but you know. You really aren't like my old pastor. You got a lot more sin than me, though. You got a lot more. Your old pastor preached better than me because he had to preach more. <laughs> All the old folks mad. They big mad. Oh, you know, that's the problem with young preachers. The old ones left first. Yeah, 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 because some of you adults get off, get off that high horse and think just because you're a certain age, you better. Age just make you more of what you are if you don't change. A six-year-old who cusses his mother out will be a monster when he's 26 if he don't stop cussing his mother out. And some of you at 70 is more bitter than you were at four. Not you guys. Now, I got to, you on the internet, not you. No, 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 no. And I'm not talking to anybody personally. I'm just saying that's what happens to us. And that's what I got to do to myself. I got to check myself every day when I get angry. I said, because a, 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 a person at my age, if I got this in me now, I'm going to be a monster at 80. If, if my kids can't come and have a conversation with me now and I always fight them, they gonna, I'm going to a nursing home. <laughs> I got to know what's going to happen. Some people just be, you know, because we act like when we get old, oh, the kids are just mean. Nah, nah, bro. You didn't change. Not everybody. You got to change. You got to change. And if you, if whatever you are now, if you think that's who you are, and that's just what people were. When we reach a certain age, you know how we are. Old people just get to do what they want. No, you don't. You don't get to do what you want. That's why, like never before, you see more old people going to jail now on the news. You be like, yo, they locking up old people now. Like, bro, got like 10 years left in his life to live here, and they gave him 90. <laughs> old people mad at me now, boy. They big mad at me. Don't worry, man. We can go on and play some domino later. (laughs) 
Lay down, you know, and eat some curry later. Don't worry. You'll be all right. No, when I say these things, church, I don't, I'm not talking to nobody personally. I'm talking in general, right? So the Bible says the whole world. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my sister, man. Who's up, Richard, brother? Ah! All right. So, one by one they left until Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Grace and shame meets. Grace and shame. Looking at one another. And grace has all right to kill shame here. Because he that was without sin is Jesus. He has the right to cast the stone. But what does he do? Jesus straightened up and asked her, Women, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And shame now has a voice. Shame is no longer suffering in silence. It speaks. Grace gave it a voice. She hasn't spoken at all. And now she speaks and she says, the first answer is, that all my, sh the answer is really saying that all my shame is gone. Because the question really is, where are those who have shamed you? And she says, there's not one here. That's grace. That's what it does. And he said to her, then neither do I condemn you. Leave and live a life that is no longer sin. Listen to this. Shame doesn't say what I did was wrong or what, I, what was done to me was wrong. The problem with shame is that it's always telling you that whatever has been done is irreparable. And that's a lie from the pit of hell. And I came to tell somebody in here that God is a God no matter what you have done. He is able to take your life and turn it around if you want him to. You say, but pastor, but, but, but pastor, here's what I've done. No, no, no. You're trying to hold on to shame. Your shame is speaking. That's the personality of it. And the more you speak about the shame is the more you'll be silenced and never move forward. But the minute you meet grace, God says, don't tell. In other words, don't tell me about your accusers, woman. I don't want to hear about what you did. I don't even. He never even brought up. He said he didn't even say, uh, where, where, uh, let's talk about what you've done. He says, is there anybody here to condemn you? He went even past it and said, you've been forgiven. And that's what grace wants to do in your life. What am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you that you don't have to suffer in silence, that you got to run to God. Here's the problem with us. And this is my last point, and I'm done, and we out of here, guys. Listen to this. We are ashamed of the shame lifter. A lot of us, it is God who will lift shame. It is God who will stop the suffering. If something has happened in your life that is burdensome, molestation, and you name the worst of tragedies, sickness, and it's, and it's, and it's 
And, and the last thing we do is want to talk to God or praise him or speak about him or open that Bible or go to him. Or, 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 or even when we're out in public, we don't never talk about him. We, we, he's kind of like something that we do just, you know, on the side. On He's, you know, I, I, I'm religious. Yeah, yeah. But we don't. When you, when you are ashamed of the shame, lift the shame prevails. But when you begin to talk about who Jesus is, hallelujah, in your life, when you begin to run to him, when you begin to praise him, when you begin to crack the word open, when you begin to say, God, I don't even know how I got to you. Shame brought me to you and you begin to cry out to him. I promise you that word will, will begin to permeate your heart and your mind you'll think different you become transformed and let me say this I'm done I promise you I'm done I discovered yesterday I, I, you know somebody was telling me about working out and all that stuff I think it was me and Hadassah and I was schooling Hadassah you know of how brilliant I was as a doctor now hallelujah I gave her medical advice she's going to live long hallelujah and so I was telling her and then she said yeah and then she brought up weightlifting and I said okay gotta leave hallelujah because I don't I hate weightlifting she said pastor in the, in the middle you know, if you want to join the military, I said, yeah, because, you know, she's in the military. And I, I was telling her, I said, I'm so fit right now. I could join. I could pass basic training. She said, you could do 10 push-ups. I said, oh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Because the, the, the thing about weightlifting, I hate that because it's like unnecessary suffering. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Brother Ian? You swollen up too. You like you you take a lot of unnecessary suffering. Every time I see big buff dudes, I'm like, man, he suffered a lot. And then, and then I'm an artist too, right? Like, no, like I've never really seen like a diesel artist, you know what I'm saying? Like, people like artists to be skinny and jump around on stage, be like, yeah, he's an artist. He's a, you know, big dudes from like, yo, put your hands up, bro. Like, I heard, I'm only doing it because you're bigger than me, man. I don't know how I got there, but. When they lift weights, it just, it just seems like a lot of unnecessary suffering to me because it's like, man, it's like, okay, they tell you, start with five pounds. I'm like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> then they say, oh, no, in order for it to work, you need 10 pounds. I'm like, all right, this. Yo, man, you, all right, take 20, take. And then they like, y'all got to spot me because it's going to drop on me and kill me. I got to get somebody you like. And then he can't even, you know he can't even lift it if it fall on you. If it fall on you, you're gone. I would never let Vince spot me. Vince, watch, watch me make him come back. You would never let me spot you either. Because you know, by the, I'd be eating apples over like, you good? But you know what God showed me? Because the truth is, there is punishment when you do it. There is suffering when you do it. You feel it in your arms. You don't want to go back. You feel it in your body. You have to change your whole mind state to become somebody who does that. But it is in the suffering... That the strength comes. And some of us. We're ashamed of the suffering. When when you take that to God. 
He takes that same suffering and it is there is where he will produce strength from. It is in your confused state. I don't know if God is going to come through for me here. When you go to him and say, I'm going to trust you, though, God. That God walks with you day by day. And you begin to see, wow, he's doing something for real. It is in those times when you go to God that he's able to take your suffering and turn it into your strength. Can you imagine this woman who was brought in the community the next time she walked in the community, how she looked? Who got to say what? Shame is gone when it meets grace, y'all. Don't be ashamed of the shame lifter. And you in this building, bow your heads and close your eyes. Yeah, go ahead. Give him praise. Give him praise. Thank you.